Colossians chapter 4. Um, we're going to wrap up today. Uh, we, we call this the big finish, not because it's the last chapter, but uh, because that's what we're going to be talking to about this. Now, uh, the big question for me each and every week is what do you leave in and what do you leave out? There's always so much more in this than we can ever completely cover. So I'm just going to hop, skip, and jump and highlight some things that I think are important for us. Uh, remember that Paul, as he's writing this, is writing from a prison in Rome. That's going to be important for our study today. And uh, after giving the big teachings in the first three chapters, he talks about who Jesus is, Jesus is God. He deals with the false teachers who are coming into the church. He talks about how you live this out, deals with family issues. And I know TJ talked about that. But we're going to pick it up today in chapter 4 as Paul gives some closing thoughts. And so I'm going to pick it up in verse 2. And in verse 2 of chapter 4, TJ went through verse 1 last week. Verse 2, it says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And uh, so a few weeks ago, we spoke in October and, and November we spoke on spiritual warfare and we took three weeks to talk about prayer. So I'm not going to develop the first part of this too much, but I, I, do, I do want to say this. My favorite translation of this verse is from the American Standard Version where it says it like this. There on your outline, it says, continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. That is, you pray and then you watch for the answer by giving thanks giving thanks that it's being answered. So go ahead and write this down. Paul's just saying, pray thanking God in advance for the answer. Faith is manifested when you begin thanking God for the answer, even before you you see any possibility of it taking place. Now that first word there in verse 2, I did want to highlight that. Some of your Bibles will say, devote yourselves to prayer, and other Bibles will say, continue in prayer. And in the original language, the idea there, I won't try to pronounce the word, but it's on your outline. It means to be earnest towards, uh, to persevere, to be constantly diligent. Paul expected that normal everyday Christians would be people of prayer, that they would be diligent in their prayer life. There needs to be, in each and every one of our lives, that time that we are spending being devoted, diligent in that, in that time of prayer. And again, we talked about that for three weeks just about a month ago, so I'm not going to develop that, but we're going to continue on, and Paul is going to give his prayer request. Verse 3, he says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up a door for, for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. Paul's in prison. That I may make it clear in the way, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Now, one of the things that, that is, again, important is that Paul is writing from prison in Rome. And uh, Roman prisons weren't known for uh, their comfort. And there, writing from a prison in Rome, Paul's request is not, get me out of here, his request, and I want you to go ahead and write this down, I've kind of paraphrased it, Paul's big prayer request from prison is that God would open a door of effective ministry. Paul wants to see God, God's word go forth. He wants to see people get saved. And so he's praying that he's asking this church to pray that he would communicate it in the right way. The church that Paul is writing to here in Colossae is part of Paul's ministry. 
So he's inviting them as part of the greater ministry to participate in praying that God would open up the door. Paul believed that if people would pray, God would open up doors of opportunity that the ministry would become effective. I think that that's important, not just then as Paul invited the people who are part of his ministry to pray, but I think it's important today. In um, LifeWay Research conducted a study and they asked what typical believers pray for. And what they found was that 82% pray for family or friends, which is good. 74% pray for our own problems and difficulties. 54% pray for the good things that have recently occurred, which is good. 42% pray about our own sin, the things that we're dealing with. 38% prayed for people who are in natural disasters. Uh, 36% of, of the people prayed for future prosperity. You know, Lord, please, please bless my life. 12% prayed for government leaders. And then 5% of people who prayed, prayed for celebrities or people who were public figures. But do you know what never makes the list? People don't pray that the ministry that they are part of becomes effective. That the word goes forth through that particular ministry. So I, I want to give you a prayer request today, but before I do that, I'm going to read the next two, the next two verses. We're going to pick it up in verse 5, and Paul says, conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity, that, that we need to be making that op- the, the most of the opportunities that we're given. And then he says, let your speech always be with grace, which is the opposite of arrogance, uh, with grace as though seasoned with salt. so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Now, keeping that in mind and keeping that Paul's prayer is is from a prison, he says, this is what I want you guys to focus in on. Each week here at Calvary, we pass out connection cards and we say, "Write write down your prayer requests. And so you write those down. That's all put into a document And we as the staff are able to go through that and pray through. But today I want to give you a prayer request that you can begin praying for this ministry. And so what I've done is I've taken those four verses and I've paraphrased it. And uh, this would be a great thing to begin praying on a daily basis for this church if, if this is your church or wherever you find yourself going to church. So uh, there in your outline. So commit to pray something like this daily for Calvary. Father, I pray for Calvary Church that you will open up to us. And the reason I say us is because this church is not people who come to church staff. It's, this is a big us. We're all in this together. So I pray that, Father, I pray that Calvary Church, that you will open up a door for us, a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. And it says that we, and that's a typo, it should say you, make it clear in the way that we ought to speak that you would help us conduct ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let our speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, that we will know how we should respond to each person. What would happen in this church or any church if people began to pray 
that God would begin to move in the ministry that they are part of, that God would begin to open up doors of opportunity. I believe that we would begin to see some really great things happen. And so I'm inviting you as your pastor, and I rarely come out here and say that, but I'm inviting you, I'm asking you as your pastor, would you pray something like this every day for this church that, that, that you call your church home? I would so appreciate that. And uh, I, I, I believe that God would do great things. Next week, we are starting the book of the Gospel of Matthew. And inside of your program, there are some, some invite cards. So it's when we think of seizing the opportunity, God has placed people around us that we can at least invite and allow them to come and experience God's spirit and God's word and allow God to do in their life what he's been doing in our life. So I invite all of us to participate in what it is that God wants to do in this church. Well, I didn't want to spend too much time on that. I really want to get to the stuff that I really want to talk about today. So we're going to move on from that. So we're going to pick it up in verse 7. And what we're going to find is that as Paul gives some concluding remarks here, he's going to mention some people. And we're going to find that there's three people in Paul's life and ministry, and they're the same types of people that would be in our lives. And the first ones that we're going to encounter, we're going to call these the people who stay. Go ahead and write that down the people who stay. Now remember, Paul is writing from a prison in Rome. And so verse 7 he says, now as to my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant and the Lord will bring you information. As I read through this, if I miss it, make sure that, that you get how Paul describes each person. That'll be important for our study. And Paul says, he's going to send you some, he's going to show up and he's going to give you information as to what's going on here. Verse eight, he says, for I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances. And I've underlined that. And that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of your number. And then I've underlined, they will inform you about our situation here. Um, very interesting that Paul says, I'm going to send them to you. One of them is Tychicus. We don't know a whole lot about him other than he's a very faithful servant. Onesimus is somebody who is a runaway slave who runs away from this town here in Colossae. He runs away, finds himself in Rome. He encounters Paul. He becomes a believer. He goes back to that town where he comes from, not as a slave, but as a brother. And that that story is told in the tiny little book called Philemon. And you want to read that. We don't have time to unpack that today. And, uh, but Paul says, the very last line there in verse 9, he says, they will inform you about our, the, our whole situation or the whole situation here. The idea there is that Paul is in prison. He's waiting for his trial. He doesn't want to write down anything that can hurt his case that can be caught and, and, and uh, taken. So he says, they'll tell you about it when they get there. So you have faith and you have wisdom working together. But then you come to verse 10. And uh, you, you have this Aristarchus, and you want to underline Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin, Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So of those who stay with Paul, There's a couple of people that we need to to hone in on. The first one is Aristarchus. Now, if I were to say, who knows the story of Aristarchus? Uh, Most of us would not raise our hand. Okay, who's Aristarchus? 
Aristarchus is the one person who seems to always show up in the story when Paul is in the deepest trouble. Uh, His name uh, means there in your outline, just means best ruler. And so we find that he's a traveling companion of Paul. All the way back in Acts chapter 19, Paul comes to this town of Ephesus. And as he comes to Ephesus, he begins to teach the gospel. People become believers. And as they do that, they turn away from, from the idols that they were purchasing and worshiping. So the local merchants in the town uh, are upset because they're losing their business. So there's, they, they incite a riot there in town. They can't find Paul, so who do they grab? Well, I've put there on your outline, and in Acts chapter 19, it says, and the city was filled with confusion. They rushed with one accord into the theater, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus. Now, underline Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel. This is the Middle East 2,000 years ago uh, before riots were all peaceful and friendly. Uh, it's a joke. So, so the idea is that when they grab Aristarchus, they drag him to the theater and they're beating him up along the way. Now you would think that Aristarchus would say, I didn't sign up for this. You know, I, I'm, I'm here, I love Jesus and all that, and I'm here with you, Paul, but I did not sign up for this. Uh, there's something about Aristarchus that just says, you know, I don't care I'm with Jesus and I'm with Paul. Well, years later, that's Acts chapter 19, years later Paul is arrested. And in Acts chapter 27, which again is years later, Paul is arrested and they're going to send him to Rome. And so who is it who decides voluntarily to go with Paul? Well, there on your outline, this is Acts 27, it says embarking on a ship from that word that I won't even try to pronounce, which was about to sail to the places on the coast of Asia, we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica being with us. If you know the story of that trip, Paul gets on, on, the, on the boat, they head out, they encounter a storm on the sea. The storm literally lasts two weeks. At the end of the storm, the ship is shipwrecked. Everybody has to swim for their life to get to shore. Months later, they find themselves ultimately going to, to Rome. And what I love about this is Aristarchus doesn't say, hey, I didn't sign up for this. I mean, it's one thing to get beat up. It's another thing to spend two weeks in a storm to practically lose my life. Aristarchus just says, I'm with Jesus and I'm with Paul. So here in verse 10, it says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. This is much, much later. So imagine, now no, nobody, nobody believes that Aristarchus was actually a prisoner with Paul. The idea was that Paul was in prison, and so Aristarchus says, Paul, if you're going to be there, I'm with you. But imagine the cost and the danger if you're the best friend of the guy who's been arrested and put in prison by the Romans because you're considered to be a threat to the Roman Empire. This is not a safe position to be. Aristarchus is one of those people who just says, I'm in, I'm in with Jesus, and I'm in with Paul, come what may. So every time Paul finds himself in trouble, there's this Aristarchus. I love this verse in, in a Proverbs. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And, and I, I love that, that this Aristarchus is in no matter what. So just very quickly write this down, that some will stay through thick and thin. And the truth is you don't get many of those people in your life. Come what may, Aristarchus is in. I hope to be the kind of friend 
that Aristarchus is. It's been said that a, a friend is walking in when everyone else is walking out. A friend's in your corner when they see you're cornered. And that's who Aristarchus is. Love that guy. But then there's another guy. Aristarchus, verse 10, my fellow prisoner sends you his greetings and also Barnabas's cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now I find this very interesting. Uh, Mark is his Roman name. He's actually called John Mark and John is his Jewish name. About 47 AD, Paul and Barnabas decide to go on a missionary journey. And so as they go on this missionary journey, this guy, John Mark, Mark shows up and says, I want to go with you. I'm fully in. I'm committed. But you you know the thing 2,000 years ago, when you went on a missionary journey, and Paul certainly experienced and we've read, not everybody uh, received the message. And uh, there was difficulty, and sometimes there were riots, and sometimes you got arrested, and it was a time of difficulty. So Mark goes on this missionary journey, and we see in Acts chapter 13, there on your outline, and again, this is about 47 A.D., It says, Paul and his companions left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the town of Perga. Now underline this, there John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Uh, So he bails, he bails, he he can't take it anymore, he says, I'm done, he gets homesick, misses his mom, whatever, we don't know, but he, he leaves. Two years go by. And Paul and Barnabas decide to go on another missionary journey. Well, in 49 AD, and the first verse there was Acts chapter 13. This is going to be in Acts chapter 15. Two years have passed. It says, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark. Underline that. Take Mark with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them. That's what Paul thinks about the situation in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement, underline that, that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul goes another direction. So here, Paul, the apostle, looks at Mark's past behavior and he writes him off. I'm done. I'm, I'm not taking you with me. We are done. Now some of your translations, if you were to look up that sharp disagreement, it will say they had such a sharp disagreement they couldn't even speak to one another. That's how sharp the disagreement was. So Paul writes off Mark. But the good news is that God doesn't write off Mark. So what does God do? Well, you can imagine if you've been written off by the apostle. I mean, if Paul says we're done, you know, that's, that's going to be a, a shot to your ego, a shot to your, your sense of competence, a shot to your, your, your spiritual, whatever you might say, because Paul's kind of a, a big name in the Bible. So what does God do? God brings Mark alongside another guy, another apostle that you and I would know as Peter. Now, why would God bring Mark alongside of Peter? Well, because if there's anybody in the New Testament who understands what it means to fail and fail big, it's going to be Peter. Remember the whole, I will, they'll all desert you, but I'm fully in. And, uh, and you know, but before the rooster crows three times, and you know, the last time he denies them, it's with profanity to make sure everybody knows. Would you call that a failure? We call that a failure in ministry. 
So God brings Mark to Peter. Peter begins to minister to Mark. Later on, when Peter writes about Mark, there on your outline, Peter will say this in 1 Peter. She who is in Babylon, the elect together with you greets you. And then it says, and so does Mark my son. Do you see that? So it wasn't just Mark a fellow worker. He says, no, that's my son. I see a lot of me in him. Peter floundered a little bit at the beginning of his ministry. Paul wrote him off, but Peter didn't. Peter had to fail big in order to come to the place where he didn't write people off too soon. So years go by and Mark is growing. Mark's becoming more and more stable. So now we find ourselves in about 62 AD when Colossians is written. And so here in verse 10, and I put it there in your outline, we find that Paul and Mark are back together. There's been some healing. Mark, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Well, it would be just a few years later, in about 67 AD, Paul writes to Timothy, and notice what he says there in the outline. He says, you know, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Paul came to the place where he realized, if everybody else leaves me, Mark will stay. Mark will stay. God's been doing a big work in Mark's life. Well, then it goes on, and you'll find in somewhere between 67 and 74, Mark will write the gospel that you and I read called the gospel of Mark. There's some lessons in there. So here's what I want you to write down. Some have a poor start, but they have a strong finish. Many of us are like Mark. We became believers, and we did some stupid things. Am I alone in this? And, and, you know, through the years, God has been growing us. And maybe there's some people, if that's your, your situation, some people have written you off. But, you know, like Mark, God never wrote Mark off. And, and God sent the right person in Mark's life to help him become more stable and to grow and to become more effective. Ultimately, from the guy who bailed on the first missionary journey, he becomes the guy who writes the Gospel of Mark. In that, I I, I would say, first of all, whatever you've done as a believer, and if if you've been shaky in your walk, your story's not over yet. You allow the Lord to do his work inside of you. He'll send the right people at the right time. But your story's not over. If you're like Paul, the lesson that you need to learn is be careful who you write off because that might be somebody that God wants to use greatly in the future. I'll take a Mark who failed miserably in the beginning over somebody who starts great and ends up not finishing great. That make sense? Well, let's, let's move on. Sorry for that. But, but verse 11, it says, and also, justice who is called, also Jesus who is called justice, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. That is, they come from a Jewish background. For they have proved to be an encouragement to me. And I love this because Aristarchus, Mark, and this Jesus who is called justice come from very strong Jewish backgrounds. There's a religious background, there's a cultural background, 
and uh, the Jewish people didn't really mix with Gentiles a whole lot. But these guys so believed in what Paul was doing, they said, we're going to lay all that aside to come alongside of you to help reach the people that God's called you to reach. Then you come to verse 12, and it says, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Verse 13, for I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So I, I noticed here you have this, this Epaphras. And uh, you have some who stay, and now we're going to find we're going to have some who pray. Go ahead and write that down. And Epaphras, uh, in verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of your number. That is, he was part of the Colossian church, but he's now with Paul in Rome. And uh, very quickly, again, we talked about this a few weeks ago, so I'm just going to go through this very fast. We notice a few things about Epaphras. First of all, in his prayer life, we notice that he prayed constantly. In verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Uh, underline the word always. He prayed constantly. The next thing that we notice is that he prayed fervently. It says, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you. Some of your Bibles will say wrestling. Some of your Bibles will say laboring. The word there is agonize. I won't even try to pronounce it. It's the word that we get, the word agonize. He, he agonized in prayer. He was very fervent. Prayer was never meant to be a ritual. It's, 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 it's something that we do that's fervent to the Lord. The next thing that we notice, and you want to write this down, he prayed personally. Personally. In verse 12, he says, Epaphras, one of your number." a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you, for you. And then we also notice that he prayed specifically. He says, for you in his prayers. And here's what he prays specifically. That you may stand perfect, fully assured in all the will of God. He's very specific about what he prays. For those of you who've been in the military, you'll know that, that part of your training is they give you a map and uh, they teach you how to read a map. And sometimes you have to call in artillery or an airstrike and you have to be very, very specific. And it's called a six-digit grid. And so you have to be very specific where, where, where you ask that to, to come in. You can't get on the radio and say, shoot the enemy. It's just too broad. So you've got to be very, very specific. So here Epaphras prays very specifically. You can't know if your prayers are being answered unless you pray specifically. So uh, again, we talked about this in, in length a few weeks ago. So, But then he also prayed sacrificially. Go ahead and write that down. In verse 13, he says, for I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Some of your Bibles will say he has great zeal. Some say much distress. Some will say working hard. And in my translation, it says deep concern. So, so he was one of the people in Colos- from, from Colossae, but he wasn't there, but he still prayed for them. Prayer is being effective at a distance. You can accomplish more by praying than, than actually by just getting out and doing. Prayer is the hardest work you will ever do. It's the hardest work. When you begin to pray in the unseen realm, it seems like everything will come against you to distract you from actually praying. 
you'll start thinking about people from the fifth grade that you haven't thought about in 50 years, 30 years, whatever it is. You know, it's just, it, it is, and it's the heart. So you have people who pray, and he's one of those. But then we come to verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and I want you to underline, and also Demas, and also Demas. As we've been traveling through this, he says about Luke, he says, the beloved physician, this one's a fellow worker, this one's, you know, it says great things. But then you come to Demas, and he says, and also Demas, and also Demas. Now, why is that? Well, we're going to discover you're going to have some who stay, some who pray, and there's going to be some who stray. Go ahead and write that down. Interesting thing about Demas. If you were to look up his name in a Bible dictionary, it would say his name means popular. We first find him in about 61 AD. Paul is writing to Philemon. And uh, Paul says in his greetings there, he says, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, and I want you to underline Demas there in your outline, Luke, and Luke, my fellow workers. In 61 AD, he's called a fellow worker. Here, he's not called a fellow worker. He's just, just Demas. Demas sends greetings. It, Bible scholars think that Paul's beginning to pick up on something in, in Demas. His name means popular. He starts great. You go a few years into the future, about 67 ADs, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, and notice what he says. He says, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. And here's where you want to write down, some start strong, but they finish poor. His name meant popular. And one of the things you see in the world, one of the things you see in ministry, there are those who start very strong, very popular, but they have a terrible ending. Apparently, Demas never allowed the Lord to step back in and rework And so for here, he's forever known as the guy who deserted. Mark did the same thing. But Mark allowed the Lord to step in, do some work, and the Lord used that to take Mark to greater effectiveness. As we wrap this up today, and I'm going to let you guys read to the end of the chapter because we're, we're out of time. As we wrap this up today, if you find yourself in the place of Demas, where you're thinking of abandoning what it is that God's called you to. I can tell you, we can all tell you, we never regret the times, the difficult times that we stay and we walk with the Lord. We always regret the times that we walk away and we weren't who God called us to be. If right now what happened in Demas's life is beginning to occur in your life and you're thinking, let this be maybe a, a final or another call back to being who it is that God's called you to be. If you're like Mark and the first part of your Christian walk and you look at it and it's just failure, 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 blew it. Just know that Mark... Mark didn't let the story stop there. He allowed God to step in and do his work. And wherever you are today, the very fact that you're still alive means that the story hasn't been completely written. 
And it could be that your greatest days of effectiveness for the Lord are still ahead. Don't let your past failures define your future. But believe in a God who can step in and rework the plan and do great things in your life. And with that, we need to close in prayer. Let's pray. Father, as uh, we go through this, I, I just can't help but think about how so many of us find ourselves like Mark. And uh, we look at the times that we should have known better if we did know better. But instead, we didn't act as people who represented you. And, and Lord, how you never gave up on any of us. And Lord, for, for those maybe who are in that place right now, looking at the failures, I pray that you would send a Peter who understood. And Lord, that you would make each and every one of us like Mark in the sense that we don't allow our past to define us, but realizing that you can take us to a place of even greater effectiveness for you. Our desire is to be the people of God that you've called us to be. I pray, Lord, over the course of the next three days, as we as a church, as we pray and we seek you, that you would speak very clearly into our lives and into those places where we are struggling and bring us through in a more stable, uh, a more solid way. Grow us. Help us to be more effective. And Father, as Paul prayed and asked the people part of his ministry to pray, we pray, God, that you would make us effective and that you would open doors of effective ministry for us in this time and place where you've called us to be. And God, I pray that you keep each and every one of us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.